This week on United Ireland, we are doing something a little different. We are going to a one-man county of lethal dialect, a guy called Paul Allwright. Um, he's released a bunch of brilliant albums. He's got a new one coming out under his lethal dialect moniker. He plays the Workman's in Dublin on August 9th, this Friday. And we've been doing these little interviews and, and, and thinking about dropping bonus interviews and stuff, but we felt that this interview in particular merited uh, its own episode. So that's what you're going to get this week. And next week we'll return to uh, non-one-person counties. But in this chat with Paul, um, we go over so much stuff. The Irish hip-hop scene, we talk about capitalism, Dublin, uh, where Paul is from, Cabra, the intellectual and philosophical foundations of his art. And um, where we start this interview is in a small part of Dublin, uh, Golden Lane in Dublin 8. And that's a very relevant place to Paul because um, it's the setting of, of one of his tracks on his last record, Hungry, which is called The Owl Chinaman. So you're going to hear him talk about that and more. We then move on to the Lord Edward pub where we had a couple of pints of Guinness. And you never know, it might have birthed a new podcast, uh, conversations with rappers in pubs having pints. Uh, perhaps there's something in that. But enjoy this episode. Um, it's Una here, and I've been chatting with Paul. Check it out. So, um, why are we here? We're here because we're uh, celebrating another gorgeous hotel being built in Dublin City. Because <laughs> there's a serious shortage of them at the moment, you know. <laughs> The tourists are sleeping in the street, there's nowhere to stay. So. It's a bit of a tourist crisis at the moment. <laughs> We're here because this is the old day. The old Chinaman used to sit here. The old abode of the old Chinaman. Um, yeah, that's right. Where was the pub exactly? Just right there, see, see right where the Blue Radisson is? You can mm. go to the left, down, down the street. Blue Radisson, and that was the side entrance of the Chinaman. And then the front one was just on this road. So there was like two two entrances on. But there's a great photo with the lads. See the way you have the flats there? There's a great photo with the lads. The four of them sitting on the step outside it and you just see the flats in the background. They haven't changed at all. They still look the same. Mm. But uh, that big monstrosity is there now. <laughs> and why is that pub of uh, significance to you? Uh, well, my uncle used to own it, so there's a little bit of a personal attachment there. You know, he ran uh, he ran it all through the late eighties, early nineties, through its crazy phase. And then I just grew up there, like I spent a lot of my childhood there and um met lots of Dublin characters and yeah, like I had a it had a profound impact on me because it's such a such a unique spot, especially nowadays, like it's very hard to find a pub nowadays with even a decent atmosphere, let alone an atmosphere like the old Chinaman had, you know. What do you remember of that atmosphere? Lots of smoke, <laughs> uh, lots of course and lots of pill playing. He had pill tables upstairs. Um, the graffiti on the walls. He got uh, this punk woman to do the graffiti. I can't remember her name, but it was like it was mad. It was him with me little cousin on the back of a bike to and giving the finger up <laughs> above the bar. <laughs> no and then there was like uh, a lot of dead spiders, or a lot of spiders eating flies. All the way down to the toilet and uh, like the green blood dripping down onto the floor. It was very, very punk.
Old Jack was a publican in a pub since the funk A melting pot of bikers, republicans, punks Hippies and thugs from crumbling on for smuggling skunk Guzzling beers, stumbling drunk every couple of months Extortionists used to call in and call in to question his protection And threaten him for installments of small investments He stood tall, told him stick it where the sun don't shine This is what he called him, Jackie the Legend Leonard I was seven years young, copping along Smoke clouds, thick as the ones that be blocking the sun Glasses full of scum, wooden floors rotten and overrun With fungus spores, stale beer, vodka and rum I sat with Jackie's friend Tomo, he was hard as nails He used to have bars for sale, well known for brawling in bar rooms And 94 assailants came to kill him with the harpoon for sharks and whales Just missed his head and paled his jar to bail Crazy John was a maniac of a man Ran a racket trafficking hard From a rack and a rack Caught in Persia with kilograms in the back of a van Could have been hanged so the cam was a slap in the hand And Jonesy at the bar had a reputation as a brute Known to give a Glasgow smile if he gave him an excuse Used to stare at lenticular pictures of religious figures On one particular youth Pulled a blade out from his boot Left the kid's face gaped in his dispute From his earlobe to the side his mouth But this kid was kin to all of the lawless So they abducted Jonesy outside his house Tied him up and fucked him in the river But the tide was out A passer boy heard the cries and shouts Jonesy was in the China man the next day Sipping points of stout Shouting what the fuck is life about Real evil These are real stories Real places and real people David Brown stood tall at seven feet A chronic alcoholic detective Based in a bacon station in Kevin Street He got his reputation in the 70s His name rang bells From the four corners of hell to old Devon It's actually the song that was probably the most kind of hip-hop on it Because um, it was one of the first ones I wrote In between the album before that And that one So it was actually more the flows and it were more hip hop and then as I start getting as I start delving more and more into that album it's like big stringscapes and all I sort of went very spoken word with it towards the end but um, I mean I think people like the spoken word but I think they preferred the China Man it was probably the most liked track on the album which kind of tells you a lot you know they, they want me to go spoken word but not too fucking spoken word <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it was just that. And then because of the, the kind of sort of grungy guitar on it as well, the effect the grungy guitar had, it was like a, it's like a Nirvana production almost, you know. And so it brought me back to, it had, it had a little bit of punk rock to it. It brought me back to all those lads who used to drink with Jack at the bar, you know. El Tomo Hand and people like that. All the old bikers and the punks. And it was a real melting pot because it was a... Uh, It was one of the few places. We'll float down that way. Yeah, yeah. It was one of the few places where um, all of them got on together because the punks had nowhere left to go. Uh, they were to be barred out of everywhere for that fighting and all. And then the bikers would be lucky to get in anywhere. And then you'd all the other heads around town would have been barred, would have ran their name up everywhere else and got barred and then came down to the Chinaman for the point. So it was the one place where everyone got on and they didn't allow anyone bring any trouble in there because it was their last resort, you know? Mm. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't have remembered the politics of it now. I would have been too young, but 
I wrote a play about it. Uh, and when I was writing the play about it, I, I was sort of mining all those stories. So they stuck with me like I was there. <laughs> what kind of politics? Just like the likes of that, the bikers not... Uh, it was the one place bikers and punks actually got on. The bikers not causing hassle, none of the lads causing hassle. Um, they used to... They'd band together and bait the shit out of anyone who tried to who tried to cause trouble in the China man, you know. So even though they were mad groups and you know there was all those hostilities between them, there was like a camaraderie as well in a weird way. What do you see now when you're walking around this part of town? It seems to be changing. I remember the, the, this was the big thing I remember was the the kind of old cobblestone uh, into Dublin Castle. They used to get a lot of hassle off Dublin Castle as well. The old guard used to come in at all hours and demand points <laughs> when the taps were turned off and things like that. Um, but yeah, that's like the st- stuff like that. The old, you know what I mean. You always remember when you when you be coming up to it in the taxi, the car that start shaking a bit. Because uh, I, I, as I say, I would have been quite young. Uh, but it's just so gentrified, you know. There, there was a bit of character back then, and now it's like probably another hotel going up there, is it? It looks like it, yeah. Yeah, just to sort out that crisis. But, uh, and then, yeah, hotels at the back, and then, like, all this, it's just... There was some funny stories, actually, when Mag- Maggie Thatcher was over, and um, they had the whole place on lockdown, and Jack was, like, right in the vicinity of Dublin Castle, and they couldn't really uh, close him down, or they weren't with him, you know? And that annoyed them a little bit. So those type of politics as well. He's always saying, don't fucking put any of that in the the play, but it's absolutely going in the play. You You have to. Will we go for a pint? Yeah, sounds good. Once we got into the Lord Edward, the rest of the interview kicks off. Paul starts out by talking about the first track he recorded and put out there, really, the first kind of bigger track, and that was one with Maverick Sabre. Here's him talking about that and more. It was fucking terrible. Well, my bit was terrible. His bit was brilliant even back then. And it was like over the Snoop Dogg deep cover instrumental. Thankfully, I had the foresight to not put out any of my early demos, and uh, there's none of it floating around on the internet now, thank God. So I would have been about, I'd say it was about 16 then, would have been about 16 putting out the foresight. If we're sitting in the Lord Edward pub right now, you might hear some people chatting in the background, but that's just the way it's going to be. Um, and from those first early tunes, how did you feel like you were progressing as an artist? Like. What did you want to say, or what did you want to articulate or express? Uh, I didn't. I didn't really know what I wanted to articulate at the time. I was just kind of writing what was what was coming out, I suppose, you know. But uh, it's only looking back now when I'm when I'm putting together the set for the gig on Friday, which is like the first one we've done in a long time. I'm listening back to a lot of the other stuff that I wouldn't have touched. It's just hard to listen to, you know. But I have to listen to it now to remember the verses and. Uh, it, it's easy to say in retrospect, but it was it was 
very paranoid and closed off and untrusting and you know what I mean there's a lot of that in it um, and you can see you can see you can see and hear the youths in it you know even in the videos and stuff like that um, I think I had a, I had a lot to say but I was still defensive about saying showing too much you know it was all very defensive everything had everything was double meanings and it was like saying making a point but almost disguising the point I was making because I didn't want to be vulnerable in a weird way that makes any sense at all what track do you think encapsulates that the most that headspace or that mindset uh, I'd say cold and calculated it's in the name you know Still looking from a street perspective Still trying to seek direction But I'm looking with a bleak perception Still trying to make key connections Still trying to get a week's extension On this weed investment I still haven't been detected But I'm still a UC detective Short to being arrested And I'm receiving a sentence Cause of dealing attention For the legal possession Paying legal expenses Trying to seize the spirit. So I still have to be attentive But I still have beef intentions Where the shaman don't need to mention Cause I still see a need for vengeance Guess I'm still being egocentric But listen to my breathing still If I manifest them I believe it's major Probably need to look deep To retrieve the message Sooner or later we'll all see the less Cold and calculate And not a chill down in etiquette the track for me that encapsulated a lot of that was Beast Mode, you know, mm. that that song for me was like intensely vulnerable, but wrapped up in this very, very hard type of shell. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about that tune now when you listen back to it? Yeah, I think it's... I think that's very true because one of the things I'm actually talking about in the verse that I was talking about was something I seen as a kid that I suppose was a bit traumatic for the reason I wrote about it, you know? Um, and that was seeing the fella on Leaks Roads in Cabaret uh, being pulled out of his house and I can't remember if it was like he cut his face or the top of his ear off or something but the thing that freaked us out as kids wasn't that, it was when they poured the paint over him that was like the fuck is this this is weird you know what I mean that was the thing that always stuck with me so I suppose in that sense you know you're talking about traumatic stuff and then saying and that's why that's why I'm constantly in beast mode excuse me if I seem cold I don't trust much around here and nothing but wolves dressed in sheep's clothes like it's all there you know it's like um, you want to be vulnerable but vulnerability is a sign of weakness and that usually doesn't go down well you know
Remember I saw my noids at the skill gates Listening to old skill tapes till it was too late Before I had to pack my suitcase to mill place Yeah, it's a shame they're gone Full of pros, but mainly cons According name and songs We used to picture them the same as dawns The schools are saved in bonds and campaigns Will arrange in pawns Over dawn, parodians, champagne and prawns Are filled plates with filet mignon But the truth was in the news breaks Paranoid buttes based on new stakes That mutate faster than they found somebody they could blame them on Remember the day them two older heads came along My father said in groups of two You get the brains and brawn The brawn is the strength but the brains are strong We concluded the brawn was the man with the screwed face The brain showed no mood in a fugue state They pulled the kid out of his house in his nude And what we view made a few faint They mutilated his face and spewed him in blue paint Looked at us and said See kids selling cocaine is wrong I seen a couple of similar situations gone It taught me Life not utilized, well that's a true waste And I was wearing pain the bond But something somewhere way beyond When the sun's low the streets glow Fluorescent noise from police servants Massage parlors and peep shows The cause the noise law when talk's cheap So keep your ears wide open and keep your feet closed It's where I grew up it's where I learned how to be a man It's why I'm constantly in beast mode Forgive me if I seem cold I don't trust much around here Ain't nothing but wolves dressed as sheep I used to go to school, get the same education as some of them I didn't know anyone in the industry or anything like that Because there's no one in my family who's like in any way creative uh, And that sort of caused a lot of the tension because Creativity is 85%, 90% as you know yourself Like fucking around, messing around and messing around to working class people is you're a lazy fucker you know what i mean so it was it that was sort of the 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 buzz with that so when i was working on the first albums it was kind of i had that sort of i had that sort of point to prove do you know what i mean that i could make this viable in some shape or form so when i did the first album i bought the Hot Press yearbook uh, and just sent the album out to every address in it and every email in it, you know. And no one wrote back. I think maybe one or two people wrote back. Um, and then I released the second album in the space of like 10 months or something like that. And I did the same, but I think this time I sent out digital copies rather than physicals. And everyone started writing back to the emails I'd sent them with the first album, which was great. And then I started getting booked in for shows and that, you know. Um, what year was that? That would have been about 2011. I started getting booked in for gigs then and getting all the ones to watch stuff and um, that that would have been the start of it really. And so I was blessed in a way that I had the pressure on me uh, from my man and dad being very scrutinising of this creative art form that I always did have a kind of a. a, a a decent hustle mind when it came to getting the stuff to people and trying to get gigs and things like that, you know. So, um, I suppose artists are chiseled a little bit from their experience, and I think the last time that we spoke for an interview, your mother was really ill. Um, and I'm just wondering what that experience has taken from you or given you that potentially in the future you could inject into your creativity. Yeah, as I was saying about growing up with very tough, uh, not that they were tough on us, but they they were tough in a working class type of way that you're 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 
endeavours had to be financially lucrative or else they were, they were pointless, you know. Everything's about security to them, you know. And my argument with them was, well, you work is our asses off to give us a better life, so what's the point in repeating the process, you know? I may as well try something else here, you know, and, and, and do something I want to do. Because they, they both had their dreams. Like, they were young when they had me. They only 21 when they had me. They had their dreams, you know. My dad was a great footballer, and um, my ma was, uh, uh, she never really told us what her creative endeavours were, but I know she was creative deep down. She kept them buried because she didn't want to be egging us on. She said, oh, you did that as well. She never told us that, she was a wagon. Uh, but that tough love, when that when she passed away, I found her no motivation. I had no one to prove anything to anymore, you know, which was, a, which was a difficult thing. And I went through writer's block for like a year after that, and I thought it was finished, and I told everyone it was finished, and I did a fucking semi-retirement on Twitter and all, and then I came back like in Egypt. But all it was was that I'd went through the longest uh, dry patch I'd had since I was 16, and I didn't know what it was. I just thought it was done. Every time I sat down to write, I couldn't. And not only could I write, but I couldn't listen to music. It hurt me to listen to music, and so I really thought that that was um, me finished, you know. So she lit a fire under me in ways I didn't even realise, and uh, it took her leaving for me to realise what they were, you know. And a lot of stuff she did, I was in contention with her at the time. Like she was, she was quite tough, and I thought she didn't need to be. And now that she's gone, I realise why, you know. So that was one of the things that. I got, but in a weird way, me dad, who would have been a, a strong uh, perpetuator of the working class way of life, since she died, he's like, fuck it, you're dead, right? Do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. Because he says, me and your ma had a plan to retire, work our, work our lives, raise up our children, and then retire uh, into the sun somewhere, hopefully. And he says, we didn't even get near retirement age, so do what the fuck you want life is short you know so that, that that was the sort of double impact I had on me you know so it took a little bit of time to to sort of realise their values and, and I think in the long run she was just instilling you know the, 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 the values of me so that I would be secured in some shape or form and that I'd always strive to be secure you know which would probably cause you more mental anguish being a creative in the long run but at least you have something to to sort of, you know, go easy. What broke your writer's block? Uh, just just randomly cleaning the apartment one day. I'd be a bit OCD with the cleaning and that, you know? And I uh, was cleaning the apartment one day. I didn't even have any hip-hop on the Spotify playlist because I couldn't listen to it. It was just haunting me too much, you know? I suppose it was reminding me of what I used to do when I thought I was finished with it and I didn't want to deal with that at the time. Um, but then a Damu the Fudge Monk beat came on and Damu would be like this uh, incredible uh, soulful boom bap producer and the uh, instrumental was off the vin- vignette album and it starts off really slow and then it just kicks into this powerful instrumental and um, it was like all the writers block it was it was like all the stuff that had backed up came to the surface then you know what I mean it was like I'm blocking a drain everything flowed out, and I had about four verses coming out my head the one time I was like ah shit and then I wrote it all down and then before I knew it I had half an album so it was the shortest retirement in the history of retirements <laughs> and it looked like that was the thing and we were only talking about that earlier when you do stuff and it always looks the same way it looked like some fucking cheap promo me over something you know what I mean I do the little retirement and then come back and it's like 
I don't really need to be doing that to the fucking 150 people who listen to me at most. You know what I mean? I don't really need to be doing that. So uh, it was genuine, but it was just, it was all very quick. You know, it was quick. It was a short-lived retirement. We're going to talk about the broader scene in a second, but are you happy to be back in this creative space right now? Yeah, like, uh, well, uh, I mean, in a in a way, yeah, and in a way, no, because I'm looking, I'm, I'm no spring chicken now, you know, and the, I lost a bit of my youth on the last album, so I'm kind of looking around, going right. I'm not the, I'm not the young book anymore, you know, um, and as I say, I, 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 that fire was always put under me. Uh, by the mother and father you know is to be financially secured in some shape or form or even to, to strive for some type of security and here I am doing another album you know uh, but I'm happy to be in the, the creative space I'm in and I don't necessarily think the broader hip hop scene is going to affect it because I think whether Irish hip hop is a wave or not I think we're, we're always going to have a quite a niche quite a niche uh, crowd you know um, yeah we had we had fans when hip hop wasn't a big thing and I think we'll maintain the same amount while it is I don't think it's necessarily gonna cross over but I could be I could be surprised you know I want to talk about the transition um, Again, I know you're touching a little bit, but like that decision to move away from the lethal dialect style or moniker mm. and do that hungry record, like what were you thinking emotionally about that and what state were you in? Uh, it was uh, hip hop circles are very fickle, you know. I suppose any purist scene is like, you know, if you go to any genre or any any interest at all, you go to, when you get down to the purists, they can be fickle, and that isn't like the pure stuff they don't like it you know so um, I had a bit of that feeling in my 88 because it wasn't boom bap and it wasn't straight hip hop and that was kind of what I had built up a name for um, but Hungry was a tough one because it was like this isn't even really hip hop anymore you know and it's with a lawyer band and there's a bit of singing on it and all you know and uh, there was a f- again with the sort of just a fear like uh, you feel exposed on a track when you're, especially when you're singing you know what I mean like Seeds of Doubt was a track like about mental health and it's all sort of spoken word poetry and then I'm fucking singing in the chorus as well just to boot just to make it really difficult on myself you know so um, yeah that was the thing and it was like I, I wanted to make a statement like this isn't an LD album you know um, so I suppose in a way it was a self defence mechanism as well to say you know as much to say this isn't an LD album. This is something different, but it was it, it was also Paul Alroy because it's the most exposed I've definitely been on an album. I would say, you know, um, and and performing it live was was tough as well, you know. Uh, opening up the show with I wouldn't even call it singing, crowning is <laughs> uh, scary, you know. It's, it's frightening, but that's what keeps me interested. Um, it's kind of easy going back to the stuff now, the new LD stuff, because it's um, it is still informed and it's still, you know, it's it's me still a grown man. It's not a regression back to an all mind state or anything like that. But just the tempos and the flows and the beats you get sent, it, it, it brings out humour and it brings out cheekiness, like the 
hungry stuff wouldn't you know that way and it's kind of refreshing to do for me as well having done that album it's kind of nice to just go in and just talk a bit of shit on a track you know front a little bit <laughs> multi-syllables decide where the track is going to go and what the track is going to come out like because there's only so, so many things that like I write in four or five syllables so like say for example the, the latest one I'm writing um, what's the scheme on it but something keeps pulling me back when all you get for Dublin raps is a couple of claps and that's before the duction attacks you know what I mean so it's like the duction attacks I know you wouldn't enact something keeps on pulling me back why every time why every time a good thing falls in me lap I have to think all good things come with a catch so it's like there's only so many things rhyme with come with a catch double and rap pulling me back so that almost dictate the actual syllables dictate where the track goes whereas with the LD stuff there was no syllables or the Paul Allroy stuff there was no syllables at all it was it was like monosyllable a lot of the time some of the words didn't even rhyme it was just saying what you had to say and that was it you know so um yeah, it's, it's, it's a very different, very different process, like. Say you get it when you're you have an idea for where the article's gonna go, and then when you actually sit down to write it, or even the book, like you'd see that yourself, it just forms its own shape, and it's almost like it was always gonna be that shape, but you're just and the longer you stay at it, like I could see that verse that I just wrote the other day starting to take shape, and I took another hour or two with it, and it's it's like. It's hard to explain. You could never imagine it being any other way other than what it is. But when you were starting out writing it, you had no indication of what it was going to be. But it formed itself, you know what I mean? And I wasn't really pushing it. I was just writing out the... Playing around with the syllables, as I say, that rhymed in my head. And it forms its own thing. And I'm sure you got that as well, like, you know? There is a time where you are, where it feels like it's not you writing, you know? There's something... There's, there's something else forming, something else taking shape that's beyond, well actually is, it's not beyond your control, you're channeling it, you know. I'd say you get it when you you have an idea for where the article's going to go and then when you actually sit down to write it, or even the book, like you'd see that yourself, it just forms its own shape and it's almost like it was always going to be that shape, but you're just, and the longer you stay at it, like I could see that verse that I just wrote the other day, starting to take shape and I took another hour or two with it and it's it's like it's hard to explain you could never imagine it being any other way other than what it is but when you were starting out writing it you had no indication of what it was going to be but it formed itself you know what I mean and I wasn't really pushing it I was just writing out the playing around with the syllables as I say that rhymed in my head and it forms its own thing and I'm sure you got that as well like you know there is a time where you are, where it feels like it's not you writing you know there's something there's, there's something else forming something else taking shape that's beyond well actually is it's not beyond your control you're channeling it you know you're an 
an artist that obviously has multiple creative um, outlets for yourself, like you know, you've you're a musician, you're a rapper, you're a performer, you're an actor, you're a playwright, um, and just a gen existing in your own creative universe. I want to talk to you a little bit about the acting. Um, you know, most people will be familiar with Cardboard Gangsters, considering it was the biggest Irish homegrown box office film of that year how did you find that process in terms of what kind of state you had to enter into because you're also quite a sensitive soul and a very philosophical soul and an intellectual in many ways in, and in just a straight up intellectual way I suppose as well but in terms of inhabiting another character on screen in a physical way what did you learn about yourself creatively from that process? Uh, trusting the process would have been a big one because I'd no idea all the way through that film if I was doing a good job or not. Like I really had no idea, and you know, I, I was going in and saying, oh, "I don't think that that take was right." And Mark was like, "No, it's grand. I'm watching it on the camera. It's killed." And I really fair enough, and that was one of the times I had to really relinquish control, you know. And uh, like I still don't know how it was. I I can't judge myself, but f- feedback has been it was it was it was good. Like you know, for for the first time and that. So that definitely trusting the process came from that. Um, and then a lot of the music stuff helped with that because m- most of it was really just being comfortable in front of the camera. Like I think I think if you sh- if you're nervous when they show action those nerves are going to show that's one thing I noticed about the acting is every little idiosyncrasy shows so it just made it made it easier on me to just actually live in the moment you know what I mean so I suppose that's another thing you could say without getting too cheesy and cliche about it was it taught me how to be in the moment a bit more logic and mm. I know you're a fan of the Stoics yeah. and things like that so how does that correlate with is that you trying to counterbalance your own um, philosophical understandings of the world? Yeah well see I think there's a misconception about Stoics because people saw them as people see them as uh, people who were like super logical and uh, you know to the point where they almost didn't try and challenge the status quo, you know, but Epictetus was a slave, like, and, you know, he, he one of the things he preached was that nobody can do anything to you. To, if they can't touch a character, they can't touch, you can do whatever they want to your physical, but they can't touch a, your character ever, you know. Um, and then you had Seneca who commits suicide because the fucking emperor told him he was he, he had to and he upped and commits suicide like as a as a sort of act of rebellion. I think it was the emperor wanted to get him forced and he was like went into a bath and 
he, he opened himself up and, and that was his act of rebellion. So like these were these weren't people who were afraid to rebel. They just did it in a way that was you have to be logical about your anger. Do you know what I mean? There's no point in getting angry at everyone and everything and, and dispersing it, you know? Um and you don't even really need to be angry, like you can you can that anger, that emotion can like all logic is fueled by emotion at the end of the day. It all is. Emotion is always the base of logic and it always will be. And I think the problem is when we try and pretend that we're logical beings, we're not. You know, and you could take the most the person with the highest IQ on the planet and fuck a spider or a snake into his lap, he's gonna jump before his brain tells his body what to do. You know what I mean? And that's why they're exploiting fear around the planet so easily. Um because it's 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 way more powerful than logic, you know. And even the people who are logical are way more emotional than they'll ever allow themselves to be or admit that they are. So I think it's not about. For me, stoicism isn't about quelling emotions. It's about domesticate domestication of emotions, you know, and knowing which emotion to use when, you know. And and ironically, the book I'm reading, Jimmy Hoffa, got angry when he needed to get angry. When he, when when he was fighting for the union members' rights, he got angry when he knew. I, th- I think he was quite stoic in his own way, but he did an unstoic thing, got very egotistical, and thought that by somehow going against the mob, he wasn't going to disappear, which was obviously <laughs> never ever not going to happen. But uh, yeah, so for me, that's what stoicism is. It's like. I'd be a very sensitive person and it's very easy for me to like I fucking log on to Twitter and my mind bends do you know what I mean I can read someone's tweet and then I I, I feel the energy of their tweet the passion of their tweet whatever it is and sometimes you log on to Twitter and you feel oppressed just by reading stuff on Twitter other people's perception of oppression can make you feel oppressed because you're an empathetic soul and then you come off feeling fucking pissed off because you feel oppressed and it's like, I'm not fucking oppressed, though. I'm, I'm not at all, like, you know what I mean? So that's where stoicism comes into me, is the logic to just domesticate the emotions and say, actually, you're just bouncing off this person, this person's thing here, um, and, and it's making you feel that way. And I mean oppressed in the sense of, you know, you go on and someone is, like, ranting about, you know, the fucking... The, the lack of control we have over the economy and where it's going and you know I'm on fucking zero hour contract like most other people you know in that way and then you know the stoicism steps in and says your emotions aren't your final analysis of where you're at basically you know what I mean it's just a little a little filter to go don't take that emotion for granted look at it see it and decide if it's useful or not now it's easier said than done, like it's a, I'll never master it, I know that for a fact, but just trying to master it I think helps because you just go crazy, it's too, I've been fed too much information now, you know, and I react, I think if you're a writer, you're a sensitive soul, you know what I mean, because stuff you see makes you want to pass comment on it, so that means you're inherently sensitive, I think if you're inherently sensitive, you have to be fucking careful what you get sensitive about because it's like you have that microphone turned up full volume and you walk out onto a busy street, the fucking thing's going to explode, you know what I mean? So stoicism to me is just about fine-tuning those frequencies and knowing when to apply what emotion. 
I used to jog in uh, in the bogies in Cabra West for PE class of a Wednesday morning. You'd go past the shed in the bogies and there was a fucking dodgy looking weed plant with only four leaves on it. And I said smoke weed every day underneath it. Like all the time I was growing up, hip hop was always it always resonated with Irish people. Like and I I just I knew from the day I was writing that it was I don't you could get into it and analyse it why you know I'd love to say it's because of our you know own historical culture with poetry and that and we, re- we relate to stories we love fucking stories you know what I mean but the other thing is as well is like uh, what we were saying earlier you know adding, adding the narrative on and going yeah that's probably what it was because that's what I want to believe because it sounds nice and romantic but for me anyway the two biggest forms of music always when I was growing up was, was hip hop and uh, and I was actually bought the Marshall Matters LP my cousin bought it for me who also would have listened to dance music and smoked a copious amount of weed at the time um, Asti my cousin Asti was the one she got me into hip hop in the first place um, brought me in bought me a lot of albums and stuff what were those albums? I was like fucking I, I'd love to say it was like you know some purest hip like fucking B-sides of some obscure rapper, but it was fucking Tupac's greatest hits or something. You know what I mean? Um, but it, it, it had a it had a prof- profound effect on me as well, just because of the stories and all. You know, and a lot of the stuff. Like even Brenda's got a baby. I know we always go back to that, and it's almost a cliche to say, but like these were working class stories. You know what I mean? This was like fucking. No one else was telling stories that related to where we were growing up in the way those stories did. You know what I mean? And then Eminem's thing, when Marshall Martins came out, it wasn't like he was telling stories, he was just being a mad cunt. I mean, there's always a mad cunt around the way as well. Like, there's always some fucking lunatic who's just a bit tapped. Do you know what I mean? And I, t- like the, I mentioned a few of them in the latest track, Red Hot, you know what I mean? There's a few of them. There's just always severe characters, we'll say, in, uh, in, in, in those type of areas. Which is a great track. Ah, thank you very much. Thanks very much. Who are you listening to in terms of... Um, musicians based in Ireland that you think are really good uh, like I I'm, I'll be honest and say I'm a bit biased I listen to all the stuff the lads are throwing out because you know there's just so much stuff like Costello and GI and For Real and you know they're, they're always writing and there's so many of us like that like you could be listening to that all day and never listen to anything but I love what Kojak is doing um, I love Nilo uh, Nelly's a, a good mate of mine and he only got into rap a while ago and it's just you know he came from the, the the hardcore scene and he's just a fucking great dude and he's a genuine empath you know so I'm loving his vibe um, who else is there there's loads like there's you know I'm, I'm sort of there's loads of stuff I mean to check out as well. Like there's loads of names I'm familiar with that I haven't got the chance to delve into yet. But I'm I'm a bit weird like that. I can't just listen to something just to check something out, you know. If I'm recommended something, I keep it in the back of my head, and then there'll be a bus journey going to work one day, and I'll stick it on and 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 analyze it. I still have that old album mentality where you take out the cover notes and fucking read who produced what and all, you know. Um. So yeah, I'm an old man with it, but. There's, yeah, there's loads, there's loads. I mean, I, I'm, I'm almost spoiled for choice and you don't want to name loads and then leave people out, which always inevitably happens, you know? 
How much of what is happening in the city and changing around the city is informing your mindset and stuff that you're writing? Oh, Dania is one, one I want to mm. say. This is a young fellow I came across the other day is a song called Paro. He's amazing. And, yeah, and it's deadly because I'm always uh, champion accents. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of the young lads coming up and they're kind of they're kind of a bit UK with it. You know, even some of the slang is going UK, and it's like we're never really gonna have our own scene if. I mean, you look at the stuff Drake. Like Drake is fucking using UK slang now because they influenced him. We we have our own culture here. That Dublin is a melting pot, and I know like with a lot of the lads and and ladies doing it, like some of them are four second genera- generation immigrants. They're still figuring out their identity, and they might have been listening to that music before they came here, and they relate with that scene more than they did us, which is absolutely cool. But there's other lads who don't really get that pass because they're here a long time and. It's just a cop out. It's it's gonna do better on Spotify if there's a UK accent on it. But it's a selfish cop out because the scene doesn't. You know what I mean? I wouldn't be a great promoter of the scene as a whole. I think everyone should do their own thing. But I think you should. I want to hear more accents. You know what I mean? And that's why I love that guy Daniel because you can hear the little Nigerian twang in the accents, but it's 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 out and out Dublin. You know what I mean? It's like my DJ Abby. Abby is like at times the, you hear the Nigerian twang and then he's like ah Jesus you know what I mean and that's deadly like that's that's unique like you know what I mean don't don't listen to Skepta and want to sound like him I want to fucking hear that that's more interesting you know um, so sorry go on the, the, the next question after that you were saying I, I forgot but just what's going on in the city that is influencing your mindset because obviously you're you're a Dubliner we're in this weird moment in, in the capital um, that I find, I have to say, very, very discombobulating. And part of me thinks, oh, maybe it's because I'm getting older and I'm being nostalgic about all these different places. And then, you know, every time I walk around the corner, there's another missing tooth in in the street. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think a lot about, you know, the... You know, the uh, you know the psychogeography. You know, kind of like, yeah. and Emma Kerwin, you know, has this thing that he always says. You know, the holes on the dance floor. And for me, I feel like, well, you know, the holes in the landscape, the holes on the the skyline, the holes in the shop you always went to or the pub you always went to. And this, you know, fake brick facade goes up, and I don't know. It feels like it feels like violence to me and then I'm like why why do I feel like this yeah, you know because it kind of is violence it's just and, and look here's the thing you know Dublin air neck of the woods has gone fucking crazy again and every other day there's someone you know being shot there's someone you know being killed there's someone you know fucking hanging themselves what's your neck of the woods like I'm t- I drink in Cabra I live in Finglas and at the moment I drink in Cabra he dies up in Blanche you know they're, they're the K district as the as the guard of calls are up there, you know, that would be kinda my neck of the woods and it's gone it's gone mental, you know. But to me it's a direct reflection of what's happening with business on a on a worldwide scale, like, you know. I don't see those lads as any less or more ruthless than the people tearing down buildings to build hotels, there's the exact same mentality. It's enterprise, you know what I mean? The only difference is one of them will snake you and end your career and ruin your life and lads around the way will physically end your life, you know what I mean? But it's the same mentality. It's just a vicious enterprise, you know? Um, and and making as much money as possible and, and 
the whole competitive nature of it and it's just pure business you know um, and and that's a reflection of what's going on you know because I mean where the fuck are they getting the stuff in the country from like you know you'd, you'd wonder like you've watched what's going on in the states and you hear things of you know the the border walls being put up and but deals being made to get cocaine across the border and all that and uh, there's a great book by the guy who, who wrote Gamora uh, about cocaine and it's a fucking business venture like and there's a lot of them involved in it and a lot of them tearing down them hotels I, gu- I guarantee you are up in a fucking uh, pen- penthouse somewhere you know indulging away and look I'm not going to say you know any of us are bleeding saints but you can't come out and fucking go oh this is wrong but this is right you know what I mean to me it's the exact same thing it's no different like um, it's just you could put it in political terms call it late stage capitalism or whatever whatever it might be um, but it's just pure vigorous uh, business with, with no regard for human life beyond that you know isn't it weird that those little tracks go along each other, like alongside each other? Because you know, during the Celtic Tiger, which I find it mad now that there's a generation that didn't actually exist within that; they didn't experience the the craziness of that. That was at a time of massive, um, huge crime levels with regards to the cocaine trade and all of the stuff around the Westies in particular, and all of that kind of thing and the Crumlin Dream of Feuds, etc. And it was at a time of mass scale, mass building, mass enterprise, as yeah. you're saying. And now the, there's a similar thing happening, but nobody seems to see the echo between those two things. Like it's like yeah. in, you know, psychology where every person has the shadow, you know, and it's yeah, the same yeah. thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's a the direct correlation there, no doubt. And it's you know, when, when when they don't have money to build hotels is when people don't have disposable income to spend on that, you know what I mean? And it's, it's absolutely a correlation between it. But it's just, again, it's a, it's a, it's just a substance, but it's a, it's a, it's almost an analogy of uh, where people are at, you know what I mean? It's, it's a... It's, it's having disposable income to get to a certain mindset to, to be on a certain buzz, you know what I mean? Which you can't really do uh, when you don't have disposable income, you know? So it kind of, in that way, it's a direct reflection. You don't have, when you don't have disposable income as a society, you don't get to fuck up hotels all around the place either, you know what I mean? So, yeah, there's a correlation there. I've always seen that, you know? And um, it's, what annoys me is that when, someone who does that sees themselves as any better than someone on the street like you know what I mean there's more honour on the street than being honest with you like you know like I'm not saying it's all honourable and I'm certainly not trying to glorify it in any shape or form uh, it's not there's nothing to glorify about it but it's it's more honourable you know like they give you fair warning in, in many cases, you know. You don't fucking get that in, in society. It's just, it's it's pure rootless. So it's, it's just a reflection of that, you know. The the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And I think where we are as, as a society as a whole is going to be sort of amplified and magnified 
on the fringes of society and, and the sort of impoverished areas, you know. Um, and then and then part of that as well is you know it's like in between those two things is is the big advertising world you know what i mean and at the end of the day like what what yeah i don't know you could you could, talk, you could get into it all night i don't wanna, i don't want to go into that fucking that's a serious kind of worms there well let me let me ask about this record um to end this really fantastic conversation I always appreciate our chats uh, but like thanks for having me I, I, we always have great chats that's one thing uh, I, I, I was saying there earlier does a uh, yeah you, you, it's like getting blood from a stone from, with me usually but you get blood from a stone definitely <laughs> <laughs> but tell me about the record and, and what you'd like to what you'd like people to get from it but see what we're talking about now and the way my mind goes and I started making correlations and connections and going way too deep with it like that's what I, I'm not doing with this album you know what I mean I'm not overthinking it like I kind of overthought a lot Hungary was one of those albums it was very analytical it was it was letting me mind go to them places and it isn't for everyone you know um, this one is a, it's a lot more fun as I said it's it's this, this schemes almost right to track themselves um, not I haven't been trying to do it this way, but it, the album ended up being much more humorous. There's a lot of humor in it, like it's very funny. Like, um, it's yeah. So it, there's humor. One of the things I did do, I'm following the same team that I'd set because the whole team with the pyramids, you know, the first one is like it's a solid structure. The second one is crumbling, and the third one it's almost down and. The, the mood and the albums changes accordingly. The first album is very sinister and grimy, and the second one is kind of a little bit more. But this one is like it's it's very soulful, it's very summery, it's very cheeky, it's humorous, it's funny, but it still has those LD bars and the the the, the sort of I don't want to say the persona because it's not really a persona, but it has that sort of swagger to it. You know what I mean? Um, and it, it, yeah, it's 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 been fun, and I'm just looking forward to getting because that's one of the things is when you're doing a serious tracks, you know, it's like people stop and they listen and they take it in. When you're doing the fun tracks like the likes of Red Hot, just people have to crack with it, you know. And I think that's something that we've enjoyed doing because I haven't really done it before. It bits of it on 1988, but not like this one, you know. Um, and part of that is just, as I say, not delving too much into stuff because that's the problem with these podcast and chatting to you is that I just go out on these mad fucking tangents drawing connections where I have no business drawing any connections whatsoever and uh, and and that's exactly what I'm not doing on this album I'm just you know having to crack with it very loose teams um, not getting too heavy into story concepts tracks like that just having fun with it and what comes out comes out and and, and not being afraid to take the piss out of myself on this one which is which is which is one of the things as well. I thought it was right. Well, I do one of the verses on a fight. Go on, do it, do it. I do one of the verses fight. Me mother said I only wanted to sing for the same reason I've got the softest of skin because I wouldn't know a hard day of work if it was clocking me chin when it's dominant limb. Thanks, ma, though I admit 
I lost every job I was in. It wasn't all just smoking pollen with Jim. I told her writing helps give this world a positive spin and makes it not seem as grim. Cause yesterday I looked around, me boy was beeping, shouting hop in with his ominous grin. Like have a look at this Betsy that I bought on a whim. Cause he's pushing folk rock like Roger McGuinn. Even though the old school code has gone with the wind. Even though the old bill may be plotting a sting. And over blow, they will blow his door off at a hinge. And if they can't get him, then they'll be watching his kin. He's well aware of all the problems it brings. Fuck it, cook out a smack of a train. And no one's saying it's not a horrible thing. But it's hard to comprehend it when you're proper and prim. See where we're from and empty pockets of sin. Even the Bible says the prophet is king. That's why you see folks without a pot to piss him rocking a fistful of sovereign rings. To show the world the situation is in boxing them in. Life gives you lemons, go get yourself some tonic and gin and fill that shit up to the top of the brim. Doesn't matter if your sorrows can swim. Me, myself, and cleaner than a hospital wing. But me boys are graduating from a college for crims. Cause ain't nobody where I'm from going to college and bim. That's what he look at me like, what's the fucking bother with him? Look, I'm the fella in the film when it's a draw at the end. And he throws the last shot, last second on the clock. And the whole world stops and the ball just bounces off the top of the rim. And he manages to cost him the win. Hey, Ollie, you're an absolute gent. I appreciate your time so much. Thank you so much for having me. Nice one. That was him.